Hello, this is Tony Reed here on Afternoon Delights again with music by my, some of my favourite composers. Today we have music by Jack Jakob Ludwig Felix Mendelssohn Bartholdy, 1809-1847. He was of Jewish heritage. His grandfather was a well-known philosopher called Moses Mendelssohn. His father, a banker, Abraham, converted to Protestantism, and that's where the Bartholdy bit got added. Felix was initially brought up to be nothing in particular, but then was baptised in the Protestant church at the age of seven. So he was actually a Protestant Christian, but never disowned his Jewish heritage. For example, he didn't use the Bartholdi, he just called himself Mendelssohn uh, when he was composing. And that was the cause, of course, of some prejudice, both when he was alive and even more long after his death. He was an early romantic composer in his musical style, but had a sort of classical training, and therefore his music was uh, always rather conservative. He was a great childhood genius, compared favourably with Mozart, but who, a little bit like Congot later on, never quite lived up to the great early promise. Did he have too easy a life? He was generally fairly happy and well off. His teen years saw some of his greatest works. Uh, he was prol particularly prolific at that time. For example, he wrote 12 string symphonies between the ages of 12 and 14. And at the age of 16, he composed his string octet, viewed now as a masterpiece and his most frequently performed chamber music work. Apparently, he really enjoyed writing it, stating that it should be played in a symphonic manner rather than as simple chamber music. So let's hear the scherzo, which I think reflects this quite well.
That piece also shows an early use of his of the very light textures he could use in faster pieces, which became known as his fairy music. Indeed, the next year saw the second great masterpiece of his teenage years, the, the Overture to Midsummer Night's Dream. At that, that point, the overture stood alone as a concert overture, and a very descriptive one uh, was a fairly new form at the time. We're going to get more of Midsummer Night's Dream later, and some fairy music, of course. Instead of that overture, I will play uh, now another uh, of his concert overtures, and a favourite of mine, composed at the grand old age of 20. This is Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage, Meerstille and Glückliche Fahrt. Uh, it's really be becalmed sea rather than just a nice sea. It's based on two well-known poems by Goethe and inspired by a Beethoven cantata which used the, which also of the same title, which also used the, the poems, of course. Uh, Mendelssohn was introduced to Goethe when he was 12, when Goethe was in his 70s, by his music teacher, the composer Karl Friedrich Zelter. And I read from the CD booklet, The rapport between the grand old man of German letters and the 13-year-old prodigy was immediate and intense. Mendelssohn's astonishing intellect enabled him to converse on equal terms with Goethe, whose fantastic imaginative word, in turn, totally engrossed the boy. So let's then hear this overture, Calm Sea and Prosperous Void.
He had a busy time in the late 1820s. There was one upside of his musical conservatism, though it was in turn criticised. Berlioz, for example, said perhaps he studies the music of the dead too closely. But he had an important role in the revival of early music. 1829 saw the first performance of the St Matthew Passion since Bach's death under his baton in Berlin, and a Handel revival also followed. 1829 also saw his first of ten visits to Britain, where he became a great favourite. His visit to Scotland in particular influenced two major orchestral works. He became very friendly with Prince Albert and Queen Victoria. His older sister, Fanny, was also very musical, and indeed had received more or less the same education as her brother, which in itself was unusual for the time, but women's compositions were not really taken very seriously, so it may have been a generous gesture that Felix's Opus 8 set of songs included several by Fanny. On the other hand, that was not specifically stated, with the result that he was rather hoisted by his own petard later on. He asked Queen Victoria which was her favourite song of his, and she without hesitation picked Opus 8 number 3, Italienne which was, in fact, by Fanny. <laughs> At least he seems to have owned up over this to the Queen. And so here is Italian, sung in a 1965 recording by American lyric soprano Judith Raskin. And there's quite a lot of words just generally in praise of how beautiful Italy is. <laughs> Ich so gern 
Leben ist Frieden und Ruhe. Ach, und ferner Liebe bist du. Träumen nur sehe ich Rosen noch blühen. Träumen der Armen sinken nur glühen. Über und Berge, wie seid ihr so fern? Droben und droben. To be fair to Felix, uh, let us play another song from the same CD, which is definitely by him. This is the Venetian Gondola song, Opus 57, number 5, from a later group composed in 1839 to 42. Um, he composed quite a few uh, Venetian gondola pieces, as both as songs and as piano pieces. And as there are far fewer words in this, I'll quote them. When the air of evening blows through the piazzetta, you know Ninetta who stands waiting here. You know who knows you in spite of cloak and mask. You know how longing burns in my heart. I wear a gondolier's garb at this time, and trembling I say to you, the boat is prepared. Oh, come now, while Luna is still ringed by clouds, through the lagoons, beloved, let us flee. When the air of evening blows through the piazzetta, you know Ninetta who stands waiting here. So the Venetian gondola song, sung by Judith Raskin. His output of piano music was mostly in a lighter vein, with eight books of short pieces called Songs Without Words, composed between 1830 and 1845. I have selected the piece called simply Duetto in E-flat, opus 38, number 6. This is the only Mendelssohn piece from the complete recordings of Richard Farrell, the New Zealand pianist so tragically killed in a motor accident in 1958, aged only 31. 
So let's listen to his song without words. We now move on to more pieces from Mendelssohn's maturity. Despite the accusation that he's, he's, he plateaued somewhat and played it safe, there is still much to enjoy. The octet was his most famous chamber work, but there are several works from his later period, especially some piano trios and six-string quartets. Minor keys dominate in these works, giving them a solemnity and drama that often takes us a long way away from the fairy music. The string quartets have all been recorded on Naxos by the New Zealand String Quartet, and I am playing the final movement of the sixth quartet in F minor, opus 80. And I'll read from the booklet, because Naxos always gives you very detailed booklets. The last of Mendelssohn's quartets, the string quartet number six in F minor, opus 80, was completed in September 1847. In May, his much-loved sister Fanny four years her brother's senior, had died suddenly. 
Mendelssohn's own health was deteriorating, and the Sixth Quartet was among his last works, written during a vain attempt to find improvement to both health and spirits in Switzerland. Here he sought solace in painting, abandoned when memories of his sister became too painful. It was in these circumstances that he wrote his last quartet, and they refer to, in the finale, which we're playing, it is a deeply felt and tragic conclusion. So the finale of Mendelssohn's Sixth Quartet, played by the New Zealand String Quartet.
In 1835, Mendelssohn moved to Leipzig as director of the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra. He later founded the Music Conservatory there, and it was his base for the rest of his life. So he is very much associated with Leipzig, as well as with England, of course. Fifteen years after the Midsummer Night's Dream Overture, in 1841, he completed incidental music for a production of the play. And I will read from another Nexos booklet. Sorry, make sure it says two quotes here. In 1841, Mendelssohn was appointed royal Kapellmeister to the Prussian court, and the king proposed that he write incidental music for a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream to be directed by the court poet and dramatist Ludwig Tieck. Mendelssohn approached his task with, with customary energy, and it is a marvel that this new music blends so perfectly with his youthful overture. Though 16 years had passed, he effortlessly recaptured the, the world of his adolescent imagination, using and developing many of the themes found in his overture. Echoes of the overture are heard throughout the incidental music. And in this incidental music, there are, of course, the famous orchestral pieces, the scherzo, the ultimate fairy music, the nocturne, dance of the clowns, and, of course, that wedding march. But he also wrote music for what were called melodramas. And it says an aspect of the score, which is often omitted from the many recordings of Mendelssohn's music, is his melodramas. A 19th century stage convention, a melodrama was a musical accompaniment to the spoken text to heighten the emotional content of certain scenes. Thus Oberon's application of the magic flowers due on Titania's sleepy eyes is accompanied by an extended passage based on the opening bars of the overture. In this recording, hearing the melodramas with the spoken text as indicated in the score gives listeners a unique opportunity to create in their minds a lavish 19th century Shakespearean production of one of the world's most popular plays as, as Mendelssohn intended it to be heard. 
and I'm playing a recording made at opposite ends of the earth. The music is played by the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra under James Judd, and I think it was recorded in Wellington Town Hall. The text was recorded later by English actors in the UK, and then they were obviously put together. I'm playing the final melodrama at the end of the play. It starts with a fairy song sung by the New Zealand soprano Jenny Wallerman. Then the final text by Tom Meisen, who plays Oberon, and Adrian Grove, who plays Puck. Uh, you will notice particularly Puck's final words, which are magically illuminated by the four chords which open and close the overture. So the final melodrama in Mendelssohn's music to Midsummer Night's Dream. will we, which by us shall blessed be, and the issue there create ever shall be fortunate. So shall all the couples three ever true in loving be. And the blots of nature's hand shall not in their issue stand, never mole, hair lip, nor scar, nor mark prodigious such as are despised in nativity shall upon their children be. With this field you consecrate, 
every fairy take his gate. And each several chamber bless through this palace with sweet peace. And the owner of it blessed ever shall in safety rest. Trip away, make no stay, meet me all by break of day. If we shadows have offended, think but this, and all is mended, that you have but slumbered here, while these visions did appear, and this weak and idle theme, no more yielding but a dream. Gentles, do not reprehend, if you pardon, we will mend, and, as I am an honest puck, if we have an earned luck, now to scape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long. Else the puck... A liar call. So, good night unto you all. Give me your hands, if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. If you want to see another version on YouTube, the close of the famous 1935 Warner Brothers movie of the play and the famous production by Max Reinhardt with Mendelssohn's music arranged by Korngold, you can watch that. It's beautiful. You can spot the stars in, in, in that one, especially Puck, who was played by a young Mickey Rooney. It's really rather beautiful in, in gleaming black and white. It's a very interesting film. During his lifetime, Mendelssohn suffered only marginal, if rather petty, anti-Semitism. Indeed, in Britain, he was by far the most popular contemporary composer for, for years before and after his death. But under the Nazis, of course, he was presented as playing a decisive role in rendering 19th century German music degenerate, whatever that means, and his music was banned. His Midsummer Night's Dream music was immensely popular and used widely for German productions of the play, which so so it's one of the most possibly the most famous victim of the Nazis' bands in music. Anyway, new accompanying music was or was ordered by the Nazi government, which most composers fortunately ignored. Karl Orff of Carmen of Burana fame was the main composer to oblige. And as a lovely postlude uh, to this period, when the British army liberated Leipzig in 1945, they flew in the Armed Services Orchestra and gave an all-Mendelssohn concert in Leipzig. I presume attendance by local dignitaries was obligatory. Mendelssohn composed a number of early piano concertos, but his only mature concerto, and by far the most popular, was composed in 1844 for the violinist Ferdinand David. 
although in a minor key again, it concludes in a blaze of optimism with reference to his fairy music again. So here is the final movement, beginning with the bridge passage between the slow movement and the, and the fast final movement of his violin concerto, and here in, in a 1959 recording by the great violinist Yasha Heifetz. Thank you. 
Mendelssohn's reputation has certainly suffered over the years for other reasons not directly linked to anti-Semitism. His conservative tendency to play safe went down best of all in Britain, then possibly the least musical country in Europe. George Bernard Shaw, no less, led the attack on his association with Victorian cultural insularity. His kid-glove gentility, conventional sentimentality, and his despicable oratorio-mongering. Even a later, more more sympathetic biographer referred to him as the inventor of religious kitchen music. So let us hear two late pieces which uh, uh, cemented Mendelssohn's reputation very much in Victorian Britain. First is a short religious choral work composed in 1844 called Hear My Prayer, which has as a famous conclusion a separate section um, over the wings of a dove, which I am playing in a very famous recording by a boy treble called Ernest Luff and the choir of the Temple Church London under the director of organist George Tholburn Ball. This dates from 1927, and it used the new electrical recording process, which at last enabled a proper separation and balance of the soloist, choir and organ, which had been impossible under the old acoustic recording system. This record was very successful. Along with reissues like this Naxos CD you will hear from, it is estimated that that this recording has sold over six million copies. I'm only playing the last bit, Oh for the Wings of a Dove. So let us hear that, sung by the young Ernest Luff.
Ernest Luff developed a pleasant baritone voice um, and stayed in the Temple Church Choir for 60 years. He also sang as a baritone, obviously, at the Queen's coronation. He died in February 2000, aged 88. Mendelssohn's major piece of Victoriana is undoubtedly the 1846 Oratorio Elijah, composed for the Birmingham Festival. The, the original text is in German, but an immediate translation into English for the first performance in Birmingham was produced, with Mendelssohn deeply involved in making sure that, that the English translation met his standards. It says, Elijah immediately established itself as second only to Messiah and the British public's affections. This popularity continued scarcely unabated through the 19th century and up to 1945, though I can recall when Elijah had this unique place as the only non-handle oratorio that was performed by local choirs. And the work was performed by the Three Choirs Festival every year from 1847 to 1930. And after, after the first performance, Mendelssohn went back and revised it. Prince Albert sent Mendelssohn his copy of the programme with a message hailing him as the new Elijah who had overcome the bale of artistic banality. Six months later, Mendelssohn was dead at the age of 38. But I'm playing one of its best moments, <laughs> Elijah's aria, It Is Enough. Uh, this has a prominent accompaniment for cello, uh, which is most frequently the whole cello section, but can just be a cello solo, which is my preference, as in this recording by Bryn Terfel.
I'm going to close with a movement from one of his five symphonies. These are actually numbered according to the date of publication rather than composition, which can be a little confusing. Numbers three and four are by far the best known, the Scottish and the Italian. I am playing from number five, which is in fact chronologically the second completed symphony. The Reformation Symphony was completed in 1830 for the tricentenary of the Lutheran Augsburg Confession, the document that really launched the Protestant Reformation. In fact, Mendelssohn failed to finish it in time for the official celebrations. It was revived and first performed in 1832, but by 1838 he seems to have given up on the work and uh, dismissing it as juvenilia, which is odd because his ju a lot of his juvenilia is his best work. 
and it was not performed again until 1868 when it was also published. Despite this discouraging style, it is still quite popular, especially the last movement which we're playing, which is based on the famous Lutheran chorale Ein Fest of Burg. All very Protestant and not really Jewish at all. So here is the finale, the finish of the Reformation Symphony.
This program is made with assistance from New Zealand on air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand on air.